The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com. This is Barron's Live. Each weekday, we bring you live conversations from our newsrooms about what's moving the market right now. On this podcast, we take you inside those conversations, the stories, the ideas, and the stocks to watch so you can invest smarter. Now, let's dial in. Hi, everyone, and welcome to Barron's Live, our daily webcast and podcast. I'm Alex Ewell, Deputy Editor of Barron's. Thanks for joining us today for our latest update on tech stocks. I'm joined, as usual, by my colleague, Eric Savitz, Barron's Associate Editor, who covers tech for us from Silicon Valley. Hey, Eric. Hey, Alex. So, um, you know, it feels like we had this unusually busy September for tech, and now things have slowed down a bit in the last couple of weeks. The NASDAQ has actually outperformed a bit this month, uh, but largely because yields have come off their highs in the last 10 days or so. So, um, you know, I think we both know it's not going to be quiet for too long, though. Tech earnings kick off next week with Netflix and Tesla. And then the week after that, we get most of the big tech, uh, the the really big tech names reporting. So um, we'll have lots to talk about uh, around earnings and looking forward to earnings um, today and what to watch for there. And then I think we should also talk a little bit about the state of IPOs, because yesterday, while this one wasn't tech specific, we had another disappointing debut uh, from Birkenstock. Um, So why don't we actually start there? Um, I wanted to ask to get kind of a state of the IPO market um, from you, uh, where we are as a reminder to folks, you know, we've sort of now had four, I think it's, I think it's four rather notable IPOs in the last month or so. Um, so where are we with those? Yeah, it's not great. Um, you know, I, I think, uh, you could even, you could even extend it to five if you want to go back to the, um, the IPO a couple of months back now by Kava, the, uh, uh, was Kava that the name of yeah, the Mediterranean yeah, yeah, the restaurant chain? The restaurant, uh, right? Which had an okay debut, but has recently had a, a a pretty dramatic decline. So we, we, you know, in tech, we had three big ones. Just to review, uh, you know, we had uh, Arm was the one that maybe got the most attention and certainly the largest uh, market cap. Uh, this is the chip design house. They uh, they are trading. Uh, slightly above their IPO price, but well below where the stock started trading. Uh, we had Clavio, uh, uh, which is probably the one that most people know least about, uh, which is a uh, marketing automation uh, company. Uh, they do like email marketing and text message marketing and stuff like that. They likewise are a little above, about 10% above their IPO price, but below where the stock opens. So if you bought it in the open market, probably you've lost money. And then uh, the real loser uh, until yesterday was Instacart, uh, which is trading well below its IPO price. Uh, this is the company whose official name is Maple Bear for mysterious reasons. Um, yeah. And uh, but of course they're the grocery delivery business. That one has really struggled. It's trading below twenty five. The stock price at thirty, um, and, and, and certainly, close to 40. certainly the most uh, consumer facing of the tech of, of of these tech names. So far. yes, yes. Now I think in Instacart's case, by the way, not to go too deep on Instacart, um, you know they uh, they're in a very competitive market. Um, you know, competing with small companies like Walmart and Amazon. Uh, we're also uh, focusing on grocery delivery. And, you know, I think the grocery delivery space had a big uh, moment uh, during the pandemic when no one wanted to go to the grocery store if they could 
uh, possibly avoid it. And um, we're willing, you know, people were willing to pay what perhaps slightly higher prices plus delivery fees to do that. And uh, and I think that the growth rate has slowed since then. So you've had increasing competition and slowing growth, and the combination has has led to fairly tepid um, uh, response from Wall Street analysts to the stock so far. Um, right. And, uh, and, and, you know, we'll see how that goes. Arm, by the way, I would note that Arm, which went a little bit before the other two, uh, saw recently saw like a flurry of uh, uh, launch uh, notes, uh, coverage launch notes from semiconductor analysts, most of whom recommended it, but the stock didn't, got a little bit of a push initially, but didn't really respond very much to that. So that's part of kind of the cycle you get with IPOs. Yes, right, where you, you always get, get that. That two right. weeks afterwards, three weeks afterwards, you these banks that may have been participating in the uh, in the listing itself come out of their kind of, I guess, quiet periods, right, and initiate on the stock. Right, and we're we're uh, I guess we're due for that for Instacart and Clavio, um, uh, but it still doesn't, uh, you know. It's not likely to be a game changer, and and then you know, and then of course this week, as you mentioned, we had Birkenstock, yeah, uh, maybe yeah. the least tech- technologically interesting company. <laughs> they basically make, uh, you know, they make shoes, they make uh, clogs, basically, yeah, um, and they've been doing it for two hundred fifty years, right? It's an old company, um, uh, and uh, and you know, and it 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 was a it was not a good sign that the deal priced in the middle of the estimated range, right. That is very unusual and is never a good sign. Um, you know, in a hot IPO, just to set the context, when you do an IPO, uh, so you file with the SEC and then at some point you file an expected range. Uh, so you might say, uh, you, might, you know, that the stock is going to go public between like 40 and 44 or something like that. Um, and then uh, sometimes on a really hot deal, then they'll refile and say, now the range is 46 to 48. And of course, the, the reason that's happening is while they're putting these filings out, they're also beginning to go on their roadshows and talk to investors to kind of get a feel for demand. Right, exactly. Now, um, in Birkenstock's case, the stock price sort of in the middle of the estimated range, which is a little disappointing in the first place. And um, it's just been uh, terrible from the beginning. Um, you know, the stock uh, the stock was down sharply uh, yesterday in the first day of trading. It's down another 4.5% today. Right. It wasn't just down in its first day. I mean, it opened down. So the very first trade yes. on the open market came below what the bankers had set as the IPO price and below yeah. what the company had sold their stock for. Not good. No, it's not, not a good. It's not, it's not great. There's a and, name for that, right? Some people like to call that a broken IPO. Yeah. Now, I think the risk, uh, the risk of doing a broken IPO is uh, it kind of taints the stock. Uh, for a while, uh, right? And by the way, you know who had a broken IPO was Meta before was it was known as Facebook. Yes, um, that's the most famous broken IPO. It did not go well. If you go back to that, we don't have to rehash the whole thing, but this was a time period when people were concerned that they were not being fast enough to move to mobile. It shows yep. you how fast the world has changed. Um, yep. uh, and the stock didn't do very well for the first year or so. Now, I think in the, the to get to your main point here, I think the larger question is, well, what does all this mean for the IPO market? There were hopes, as we've talked about before, that perhaps if these, you know, this flurry of IPOs was well received, that you might see some more of them before the end of the year, and then, uh, you know, more in 2024. But um, this is not encouraging, right? This does not 
this is not the, like if you are a company that is thinking about going public uh, and you look at these four companies that just went public and you think I could be them, are you doing that with envy or relief that it's not you? I mean, I, I, I think uh, more relief than envy. And now to be clear, there are more than one reason that you go public, right? Sometimes you go public because you need the money. Now, I think in the case of these companies, they actually didn't raise that much money to use for operating purposes. Like in Arm's case, all the money went to SoftBank. Like they didn't raise any new capital. Yeah. In Birkenstock, it was only a small fraction of the total. I think maybe a third of the total, something like that, actually went to the company. The rest went to selling shareholders. So if you need, if you don't need the money, do you want to go public in this environment? I don't think you do. So um, I think that the odds are that we will see little to no additional IPO activity of any consequence from the tech sector, at least this uh, for the balance of the year. And uh, people will wait for some uh, for for better days. And, uh, and look, this is like sort of a, this is very much a uh, I don't know if symptom is the right word, but this is very much a symptom of where we are right now for the macro market, the economy. There's a lot of uncertainty uh, around interest rates and um, there's a lot of certainly a lot of geopolitical uncertainty. And so I, I certainly think that's going to, uh, you know, going to weigh on on companies' decisions. It's, oh, hard to yeah. know, it's hard to know it's coming in a week, let all, you know, and, and so if you can't, if you don't know what the next couple months are going to look like at all, it's very hard to plan through this process. Well, I think there's some clues if you look at the behavior of technology stocks through the years, Steve, right? So first half blowout. Uh, period for right. tech stocks, right? right? NASDAQ was up, I can't remember the number, a lot, right? 30 some percent, 32%, something like that in the first half. Yep. Since June 30th, the NASDAQ is basically flat. And like, there's a couple of reasons for that. Like, you know, one is like in the first half, we were all excited about the Fed's almost done. Yay, maybe they'll start cutting rates. Well, the Fed doesn't seem to be entirely done. I mean, they're, they're, they're certainly you know, almost completed this tightening cycle, but every every uh, time they they uh, they talk about it, it sort of implies, um, well, maybe higher for longer. Maybe we've got another quarter point or half point to go, and you know, the 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 prospect of rate uh, cuts still seems far away. Uh, so that's not friendly for tech stock valuations. That's one problem, and then another one, which we can get into more detail, um, Alex, is. Um, there's a more nuanced view of the opportunity in, in, um, artificial intelligence software. And, you know, if you think about one of the big factors in the first half, uh, was this wild enthusiasm for AI and, you know, yeah. you saw it in particular in NVIDIA shares, which were like tripled in six months. Yep. Um, uh, but I think there's now a much more nuanced view. It's, it's not so much that it was just all hype, but I think there is a sense that, well, you know, there's some, this is a more complex story than people thought at first glance. Yep. Well, right. Um, should we use that to sort of segue into, um, into earnings and what we'll learn sure. about AI? Yeah, absolutely. It seems like, um, you know, we're, we're going into this period where AI will once again be a focus, um, from a psychological, sentimental, you know, sentiment standpoint from investors. And as we've talked about before, the numbers 
we'll say much less about it because we are still very much in a um, wait and see uh, period for AI from a kind of bottom line perspective, right? For, for right. Right. So tell us, um, before we get to any company specifics, um, we've talked a little bit about kind of big themes um, and where we are for earnings, uh, for tech earnings. Give, give us kind of your, your view there. Yeah, sure. So I think, I think there's an important principle to keep in mind as you think about the impact of AI on tech company earnings. And, and uh, that principle is that it, it takes money to, to make money. And right. so, so in other words, AI isn't like magic fairy dust. AI involves um, substantial capital investment, right? So if you want to run a large language model, um, you need to buy um, servers powered by these very expensive GPUs, mostly from NVIDIA, but there's a sprinkling from some other people. And you have to build out data centers and like there's a lot of compute costs involved and it's just expensive, right? So, so, uh, so you have to build all that stuff out before you can even offer anybody anything, right? So um, the problem is, um, I think in the first half, people were sort of jumping across the chasm beyond the costs and just looking at potential returns. Right. And, yeah. uh, you know, uh, you know, revenue without cost would be a fantastic business model if you could <laughs> figure one out. Right. But that's not really the thing. That's not how, so, so, and, and I think what we saw some last quarter was some evidence that even from the leading players, right. So from Microsoft and from, um, Alphabet and the parent of Google and a few others that, um, yeah, they were really excited about the opportunity um, and and be really believed it was going to drive the, you know, kind of move the needle for them over time. It didn't happen in the June quarter, which is not a big surprise. Like, it just started. I mean, yeah. you know, we can't forget. Like, I say this all the time, but like, Chad GPT launched in November, November 30th, of last year, it's not even a year old. This phenomenon, so yeah. it all takes time. And but then, so me, but, but so let me ask you something on that. Do you think um, is this a little bit of a case of the more we, because because this will have a big impact over the next month as we get earnings? Do you think that the more we hear about the reality of AI, the less excited investors get about it, or yeah. it just get pushed out? I, I think it's. I think. There may be an element of that, but I think that the there's a sorting out process here, right? So some large percentage of technology companies have like announced some kind of AI strategy. Co-pilot um, this, co-pilot that, that kind of thing, right? Exactly, right? And and what we're now starting to, to see is like, well, the impact of these things on their businesses is going to vary and the business models will vary and it's going to take time for this old way out. I mean, you're talking largely about enterprise software companies. The customers of enterprise software companies, large businesses everywhere, like yeah. don't just drop, drop what they're doing at, you know, uh, like on a, uh, on a dime and uh, turn around and redo all their IT infrastructure. This stuff takes time to play out. Right. And so like, no matter how brilliant the opportunity, um, it's just going to take a while. And so- well, And, and I, can I just use, can I throw in, um, to use the dot-com kind of uh, analogy, uh, the dot-com bubble analogy. I mean, if we look at how the markets reacted in 1999 and you know into 2000, and then and then the bust, how many years did it take for the Nasdaq to recover? It was another like 15 years, I think. Yeah. Right? No, I don't think this is that kind of severity because I think 
there were many things that were different then than now. Like you could go public in that time period with like literally no revenue. Like a right. lot of things were different in that time period. And I think that this is like the internet in some ways or like cloud computing or like the rise of, you know, like uh, the iPhone and other sort of modern mobile phones uh, really game changing, but it's going to take time to play out. And so I think what we'll see in the September quarter earnings on the uh, on this topic is, you know, like some incremental help. I mean, you'll see the cloud companies talk about this a little bit about how it might help them at the at the margin. And um, and what people will really be looking for is commentary about next quarter, the, the you know the, uh, the 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 December quarter, and then into twenty twenty four. So it's like what what what's coming is more important in many ways than the numbers for this specific quarter. Mm-hmm. Um, and when it comes to AI now. I, there are, of course, a handful of exceptions. Like Nvidia is like clearly the most obvious, uh, like practical winner here because you know they're the pick and shovels uh, uh, provider, right? They are uh, they are generating vast piles of money selling processors here, yeah. and so you'll see, you know, you'll see some of that kind of thing. But uh, for the software companies, it's going to take a little while. Yeah, and I just want to point out the we mentioned interest rates, but to think about kind of the dynamic that we're in right now with this potentially higher for longer uh, rate approach from the Fed, it means kind of that any long term profits are a little bit less exciting to investors, right? The longer right. you have to push it out, the less exciting they are because of higher interest rates, which, make, which makes those profits worth less in today's dollars, right? So right. you. Okay. So here's the wrinkle, by the way, that's interesting, right? Another big theme in the first half of the year, as our listeners will remember, is the year of efficiency. Like credit Mark Zuckerberg, he's the one who like came up with this idea, which basically boils down to, um, you know, let's tighten our costs and raise our margins. So it's like, if you can't grow, if you're not growing as much as you like at the top line, you can cut your costs and grow profits faster than the sales and sales of revenue. In and today, like right, I mean, right. In, in, yes, yeah. yeah. So that's been that's played out actually in the, in the uh, first part of the year. Like a lot of companies were cutting costs. You had this wave of tech companies reducing headcount and uh, pushing out capital investment projects and stuff like that. And you have seen quite a few tech companies boost their margins uh, to so that their profits are growing faster than sales. Here's here's the rub. Again, AI is expensive, and so it's going to be interesting to see how companies like Meta and Alphabet and Microsoft that have uh, that have to invest um, to be able to reap the benefits of AI um, to see how that impacts their financial results this quarter and in the next quarter and then in the quarter after that. Like, is there a point where uh, we begin to get the sense that, um, you know, the year of efficiency is giving way to the year of investment. Um, and, you know, that that has implications on earnings. And, um, you know, I had one investor say to me uh, this week that he thought that, um, uh, you know, there could be trouble on that front with Meta, which has been, you know, the, the, the case study, the poster child uh, for uh, the year of efficiency. And, uh, but, you know, they just announced a, uh, uh, a couple of weeks ago, their big push into AI, they launched this meta AI chatbot. They launched, you know, a whole bunch of other chat yeah. uh, well, capabilities and that all takes compute. 
Um, and it's gonna, it's, it'll be interesting to see how, what they do with it. And they didn't, by the way, announce a clear monetization strategy there. So uh, we'll yeah. see how that plays out. All right. So um, we have heard a bit from a lot of these companies now how they plan to eventually make money. There's yeah. one company that seems uh, maybe somewhat further along uh, in that monetiz AI monetization process, and, um, and that's Adobe, which this week had its annual product announcement. And I think you also listened to an analyst call that they hosted. Um, what, you know, is in fact, is Adobe in fact further along in the AI kind of path? Uh, what do you think in the AI journey? Yeah, so, so here's the landscape. So yeah, Adobe did this event called Adobe Max. This is their annual, like the user group of events, thousands of people convene. I think they did it in LA this year. And um, and they uh, they announced a bunch of stuff. Um, uh, in Adobe's case, they have been gradually rolling out an AI strategy uh, since March. Um, there's been a real steady drumbeat of announcements from them about their strategy, and they're what they're doing is uh, several things. One is they've announced a set of tools which they call Firefly. Um, you can actually go play with them. It's at uh, uh, if you just search for Adobe Firefly. Um, you'll, they have a separate web page, and um, and they have things like a text image generator. So this is like you know you type in and pick. Say I want to see a picture of like you know penguins playing in the World Series, and, um, and then it delivers them to you, right? So um, uh, almost anything that you you can think of. They also announced a bunch of tools to add AI features to Photoshop. They're very popular photo editing tools. Um, and a few other uh, things that they've uh, that they've added to the mix over time. They've just announced this week a second generation of their image generating tool, uh, which gives you better quality images, subtler colors, and a bunch of other things that um, should make the uh, make the images they generate better. Now, but I, I think to and to your point, one of the things that that Adobe has done is um, they've made it clear that while you can play around with the free version of, of Firefly on the web, uh, you know they're not doing this out of the goodness of their heart. Uh, they've announced an enterprise strategy uh, to make Firefly available to uh, for enterprise customers. And there are some additional features you get that way. And I think one important one, which I think is super interesting, is Adobe in their image model uh, is uh, has taken pains to not violate other people's intellectual property rights. So they they base that model on a lesser known part of Adobe, known as Adobe Stock, which is a stock photo, stock image uh, uh, business. They've based their model on stuff that they already have the licenses to in Adobe Stock. Uh, they actually, for a, for a corporate customer, they will indemnify you against any allegations of IP violations. Um, so they're 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 trying very hard to make this not just like a consumer tool, but really an enterprise tool for generating uh, content. And of course, that's the heart of Adobe's business, right? Adobe is the content creation software company uh, for images and photos and illustrations and you know publication design and everything else. Now, I think one of the things that's interesting is they have announced this uh, pricing model, and part of the pricing model will be, that if you're a paying customer, you get to have like a certain number of, uh, you know, uh, AI generated images. Uh, but if you want beyond a certain number, 
then you have to pay extra. So there's sort of a token model where you can buy more. And uh, there is a sense that they, they think that this expands the addressable market for them, that it will accelerate earnings. You know, we, uh, as you might remember, we interviewed uh, Shantanu and Ryan, the CEO of Adobe, about this a few months back and in the magazine. And he is very excited. He thinks this is a game changer for them. Right. Uh, at this meeting, so, you know, at this, this meeting included an analyst uh, session of about three hours. And, um, you know, it was a little bit of an unusual analyst meeting. Most analyst meetings involved, you know, here's our, here's our forecast for next year. Like, you know, our, here's our long-term model, things like that, the specific financial predictions. They didn't do any of that. But what they did do is they got, they did get people really excited about the opportunity in AI. They, they made a, a few sort of general comments about the current quarter. Now, I would note that Adobe is on a November year end. So this is a quarter that they're not even halfway through. Right. And, uh, you know, I interviewed the CFO um, who basically said, um, you know, we're having a strong quarter. But like, that's all. He didn't say anything in more detail. But the takeaway, you know, if you read the analyst notes, on, on this meeting, uh, they were just simply glowing about the opportunity for Adobe and AI. Um, so, and the stock is, is running up. It's up uh, 3% today. It was up similar. Okay. So Adobe, what's interesting partly about Adobe is that it's, you know, compared to the really big tech names, it's a little smaller. Perhaps, you know, you get a, a, you get a stock in a company where AI can move the needle a little more easily. But then let me ask, because um, we got a listener question asking about Microsoft's AI ambitions. And I might have been maybe a little dismissive of their so-called uh, co-pilot service. Um, but that's real too. That's coming or yeah. even here. So is there a difference there? I mean, how much do you will AI AI I'm sure will matter for Microsoft, but is it going to have a harder time moving the needle for investors just because of how enormous Microsoft already is? Well, you know, I think we're going to see how this plays out. I mean, Microsoft has taken a very aggressive stance on pricing, in particular the Copilot software for uh, 365, which is you know their their suite of Office applications. Right. Um, you know, all this stuff. I'm sorry. They'll write emails for you, uh, essentially. They'll write emails for you. You can have it do things like, say, uh, take my Excel spreadsheet and make me a PowerPoint deck. Yeah. Um, and but it comes it, at a cost. Yeah. It comes at a serious cost, in fact. Well, so this is the thing that's so interesting is they plan to charge uh, $30 per seat per month. So, uh, for every user that is going to use the Copilot, thirty dollars a month. That is more or less what people are paying for three sixty five without the Copilot. So, it's like, no, it depends. There are volume discounts. It depends where who you are. It depends. There's a lot of complications with this pricing. But basically, you're talking about a huge increase in cost. Now, what Microsoft would argue is that the Copilot is going to make you so much more efficient. That your that your workers will be able to do so much more that um, it's all going to you know give you a high uh, return on investment. Now yeah. we'll, so, see. we'll uh, see. I don't think everyone is going to is like lining up to do this. So we might get some clues in Microsoft's earnings um, in a couple of weeks. I don't know, okay. uh, but yes, they are certainly trying to do that. And there have been a few other companies that have you know laid out some pricing plans. I, I mean, I would so not. 
underestimate Microsoft here. Okay. All right. And in two weeks from now, presumably we'll be, uh, which is when we'll likely be speaking again, we will have had Microsoft's earnings uh, just the day or two days before, uh, along with a lot, most of big tech. So we'll have plenty to talk about there. Um, one thing I'll know with Microsoft is, um, you know, they may need some of this uh, infusion of revenue, given a, a, a smaller story you covered last night, which is that the IRS um, just hit the company with a 30 billion billion with a B um, tax bill from like for a, a long period of time, right? Dating back 10 or 15 years. Yeah. What, so th- what is that is, about? Yeah. So Microsoft um, has been haggling with the IRS literally for years now over an audit of their returns from the period from 2004 to 2013. So a 10 year period. Um, they, they, uh, the, the actual issues involved are complex and a little hard to parse, but it seemed like it's a question about allocation of costs and revenues among the company's internal business units, which might subject some things to tax or not uh, based on where the revenue landed. And whether I, I'm guessing it has something to do with whether it was a consulting for service or an actual product sale or something. Yeah, like I, I feel like I need to do some more reporting to yeah. kind of learn all the details here. Um, what you know, it was a it's a shocking number, right? I mean, the uh, I think the actual number is 28.9 billion plus interest and penalties, by the way, which they did not enumerate uh, what those would be. Um, so probably north of 30 billion dollars. Now, there's obviously. Microsoft does not want to have to pay $30 billion in extra tax to the IRS. Um, they, uh, they, there's an appeals process at the administrative level at, at the IRS. And as Microsoft said clearly in a blog post about this yesterday, um, if that doesn't work, they will take it to the courts. They think it will take years for this to, you know, years more. I mean, it's been going on for a while, but like yeah. years more for this to finally settle out. I think, um, uh, and, you know, I think I think what's clear is you look at the stock and realize, yeah, the market doesn't really care. They don't think that this is going to be a big deal. I mean, you know, $30 billion, like for uh, sounds like a lot of money. It's like, uh, you know, not less than 2% of their market cap would be one way to think about it. I guess that's true. And, and the market uh, we've talked about before has a way of even when numbers are big, overlooking kind of these one time hits or these one-time events, which is yeah, kind of I, grapple with. If I may speak on the market's behalf, I would say that the way that the they think about this is, first of all, they might end up paying nothing. Second of all, it's going to take years to sort it out. Third of all, when they finally settle, like maybe it's not $30 billion, maybe it's $5 billion. And, right, right. Um, you know, and, and this is, uh, um, you know, this is one of the largest companies in the world. So I, I think this streets sort of reaction, um, despite the really startling number, I mean, let's, let's be clear. Like that's more than, as I pointed out when I wrote about this yesterday, that is larger than the annual budget at NASA, right? So like $30 billion, that is a lot of money. Um, and, and, uh, it's, it is striking. And I think very practical in many ways of the street to just go. Yeah, we got bigger fish to fry. Right. right. All right. Well, we will uh, we'll watch that one. It's uh, definitely interesting. Um, we got another question, and this one is all kind of near and dear to your heart, so I'll, I'll pass it on to you. Um, any thoughts on quantum computing and the midterm 
outlook, or I assume they mean the, 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 the medium term outlook for the sector. This is something you wrote a cover story on. It kind yeah. of took a backseat to AI in a lot of ways. Um, any news on quantum computing recently? You know, there's always a little bit of news, but I think that uh, the, here's the, here, as I pointed out in the story when I wrote it, I wrote about quantum computing, it is fiendishly complicated technology that almost uh, like literally defies reality. Like anybody who knows anything about quantum mechanics, um, uh, quantum physics, uh, you know, knows that you're dealing in these kind of insane concepts of things like um, uh, the ability of particles with no connection to interact at a distance, all sorts of crazy stuff. Um, uh, <laughs> Albert Einstein, for one, kind of basically kept telling people he didn't really think it was a real thing. He didn't actually even believe in it. Um, th there's a lot of companies that are involved here. Now, the, the, the interesting thing is that there's a real barbell, right? Like you've got um, you've got some of the largest companies in technology, um, in particular, um, uh, Amazon, Alphabet, um, IBM, um, who are making an effort here to really go after this. But this is still science experiment territory. Like we're, we're still pretty far away from having commercially viable businesses. Now, and there are a bunch of startups. There's a whole bunch of them. So let me just ask you, because I think it's really interesting. And, you know, AI, you mentioned, uh, we had this big moment when ChatGPT got turned on um, last November, right? And all of a sudden, this thing that seemed largely science fiction became real. Are we going to have a moment like that with quantum computing where, like, it's suddenly driving the market and everyone wants to talk about quantum? I think it's a different, I think it's a different dynamic because um, uh, quantum computing, uh, the issues are involving quantum computing that need to be solved are largely those of physics and chemistry. Like okay. these are, these right. are it's more, like, it's more like fixing batteries. It's, it's more like fixing batteries to some degree, right? And making Yeah. It's, better. it's like, I mean, the technology is so complicated and, and then you have to like figure out not only if you have to, you know, you, so you build one, you build a quantum computer. Then you have to, and you have to build on top of it um, software that makes it accessible to people. And I would note there are there are actually like functioning quantum computers. Uh, you can access them through uh, the cloud services. Amazon has partnered with a bunch of cloud computing, uh, a bunch of quantum computing companies that let get, lets you get access to them. Uh, we're not really at the stage where they do a lot of useful work now. Like, the notion, without diving too deep here, but like the notion is that if you really had a functioning quantum computer, um, the things that they do best actually would apply a lot to AI. Like so, like the thing about quantum computing is that the notion is that you can can deal with very uh, with, with with systems with very large numbers of variables. Mm -hmm, right. Mm -hmm. So the kinds of examples people always give are things like options pricing or uh, discover, discovering new pharmaceuticals or you know, other kinds of material science problems or uh, it's like new battery design, like things where you have like complicated chemistry problems in many cases where the theoretical number of possible solutions is so large that like you could never do that with like conventional computing because they, because quantum allows massively parallel computation, you can get the answers to things. And that actually plays nicely with some of the issues in AI where you are trying to deal with very large data sets often. Um, but
but it still feels a little far away. I would note that, you know, I, I would argue, I think I did argue in that story that the company that seems to be ahead here is IBM. Um, you know, IBM has one of the, one of the things that's uh, inherent to IBM is they have always had a large research arm and are willing to um, place very long-term bets. And, um, I, you know, they, they are fascinating to talk to about this. They are, they are uh, excited about the opportunity, but oh. it's not in anybody's numbers. <laughs> it's not in anyone's numbers. What's interesting on IBM, I would just note, is they were arguably early and maybe too early to the AI theme. Now they're not getting a lot of credit for it. But of course, IBM was doing some pretty exciting AI stuff 10 years ago. Um, and then sort of maybe drop the ball a little bit, but I, I, you know, there's, there's reason to think something similar could happen again. Yeah. Now. Yeah. That, so, so in, in the case of just to, uh, to, to touch on that for a moment, like, you know, I've written a lot about this, like IBM, uh, was very early, right. They, if you remember, uh, you know, deep blue, their chess playing computer was, you know, playing against, uh, like Gary Kasparov and stuff. Like, yeah. And winning Jeopardy. Uh, and then of course, 10, a little more than 10 years ago, I think it was, 2011, maybe, um, famously the Watson, uh, their Watson computer played on Jeopardy and you know beat like Ken Jennings and stuff. Yep. Um, but but that never really translated into a business that was successful, and they eventually turned that into uh, kind of somewhat oddly turned into a uh, a focus on healthcare that became this Watson Health business, which then sold. But they've relaunched. They have a new business called Watson X and. Uh, that's really, you know, in the heart of the AI opportunity. Yeah. All right. Well, so that gives uh, that gives listeners something to definitely think about. Um, that is actually, we're going to have to leave it there, Eric. But as I said, two weeks from now, we are going to have a lot of earnings talk um, to uh, to go over. So that will be great and gives uh, everyone something, uh, gives us something to look forward to. So thank you. Um, thanks for being here, Eric. My pleasure. Thanks, Alex. Um, and uh, to all our listeners, please join us again tomorrow. Becky Strom, the managing editor of our sister publication, Mansion Global, will be talking to architect and designer Lisa Schwert about lessons learned from remodeling her century-old home in Pelham, New York, during the height of the pandemic. Thanks for listening. Be well and have a great day. The energy transition is a long and winding road, and it needs to be taken step by step. Learn more at SiemensEnergy.com.